My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals. Secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. Adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. Mobilize finance and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Sally Gibbon is an eco-founder, climate reality leader and environmentalist. Her purpose is to inspire others to take dramatic action on our climate and biodiversity crisis, the most important issue of our lifetime. She's a co-founder of the Be the Future, which inspires parents of young children to raise heroic leaders for environmental change, drawing on storytelling, behavioral science, and positivity. She's spreading the word about environmental action through writing for media publications such as Climate Conscious, Pebble Magazine, and The Grace Tales, and speaking at events such as It's Time, a festival of climate action. She's also a startup mentor of the Founder Institute, the world's largest early stage accelerator. She has been at the forefront of many social impact initiatives over the years with organizations such as Young UN Women and Social Good Summit. She previously co-founded Pure Bundle, an award-winning startup that was transforming the experience of re-loving children's clothing. Sally, it's such a pleasure to have you on Where Ideas Launch. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I'd like to start with a story I found about you on your LinkedIn profile about a trip you made to Sydney in early 2020. Tell us about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, sure. So I'm an Australian living in London. And back before the pandemic, my family was going to visit everyone back in Sydney. And, you know, usually going back in the summer, it's all about the beaches and and blue skies, beautiful weather. But Sydney was gripped at the time by these catastrophic bushfires. And uh, they're the worst bushfires Australia has ever had. And it was just I think incredibly humbling and and really quite um, shocking to really kind of realize just the fear, the loss that 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 was happening in the country at the time. And you know, 19 million hectares burnt, 1.25 billion animals perished, about 33 human lives were lost, and so it was you know an incredibly difficult time. And I think for me that was really the moment that I realized that climate change is not in the future. It's happening here and now. And, you know, weather events, extreme weather events are getting more, you know, intense, more frequent around the globe. And I think, you know, many, many more people are sort of having these climate moments where they're really realising how much we do need to step up and and keep taking more action and hold our leaders to account. Yeah. What, What was it like to sort of experience that from the eyes of people who live there? I think, I mean, growing up in in Australia, I was incredibly fortunate because it's this beautiful country with a lot of natural nature and, you know, beautiful waterways and beaches. And I think my childhood was was very much about, you know, growing up in the outdoors and, and really enjoying a lot of that beautiful space. And I think, you know, there's a there's a term called solastalgia. And I think it was an Australian who coined the term and all about basically people mourning kind of the, the the nature and the environment that used to be that is disappearing. And so I think 
you know, it really made me feel incredibly upset. It made me feel incredibly guilty as well because we were back there to see family and friends, you know, have a, have a wonderful time and enjoy ourselves. And I remember I kept having these conversations with people saying, I'm feeling guilty, you know, trying to go out and kind of do those normal everyday things when something so devastating is happening to so many people around the country. So I think it's, you know, a real, a real wake up moment. Yeah, absolutely. I know that children are central to all the activism work that you do as well. So tell me about how your son is sort of helping you navigate through this complexity. Yeah, sure. It's a good question. So I think like many parents, you know, when I had my son, it was very much, you know, something that made me step back and go, what kind of future am I creating for him? What, um, how can I create that best life? And, and I guess, in the context of the climate emergency, you know, there, there's really this, this whole challenge around what kind of future, you know, will, will be there for our kids and, you know, what that next generation is stepping into. And so I've very much decided to focus on how we can help inspire and nurture that next generation of children to really care for the environment and want to be, you know, leaders for environmental change. And so there's some really simple things you can do with, with young children. And one of the, the first things is very much to inspire them to love nature. And, you know, that can be as simple as playing outdoors quite a bit, having nature play activities, talking about, you know, animals and, and the environment, because studies have shown that when children learn to love nature as they're young, they often grow up to want to protect nature. And I think a second thing is, is very much around inspiring them with stories and games and puzzles and all sorts of things that, you know, help them to learn about how they can care for the planet, but in a really fun, engaging way. And, you know, as we all know, I think we all get drawn in as humans to storytelling and it's such a powerful learning tool for young kids as well. And I think the third thing I'd say is around role modelling because, you know, children very much learn from what people around them, what the adults around them are doing. So as people start to, you know, make some changes in their own lives and understand more about this space, that's one of the best things you can do, you know, and, and one of the most visible things for kids is, is single-use plastics. And so, you know, things like explaining to your children if you're trying to make choices that are moving a bit more towards reusables and um, how we can do some things differently, you know, doing that with them and explaining why you're doing it. And it's quite surprising to see how that can then solidify in your child's mind. And I know during one of the many lockdowns here in the UK, I remember my son just deciding he wanted to start, he was about four, and he wanted to start making these little mini posters about trying to tell people about not using single-use plastics and how they can hurt the, hurt the fish. And I remember he, he enlisted me to make about 150 of these tiny little posters he wanted to hand out. Out. And that wasn't me, you know, telling him to do anything. He just decided, you know, after these conversations. So it's quite interesting to see where some of these very small things can actually plant something in your child's mind and where they can lead. Oh my goodness, four years old and an activist already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's going to give Greta a run for it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about social impact and change. And with the stories that you've written, um, what, what would you like to share with my listeners about some of the journeys that you've been on through your storytelling and through your writing that have created an impact in the work that you do? 
So I think one of the things that has really stood out to me as I've immersed myself more and more in this space is this real need to try and transition from getting lost in all the doom and gloom and despair of a lot of the headlines that are out there and really try and immerse yourself in the positivity and the solutions and the optimism. And someone who is incredible in this space is Christina Figueres, who led the whole effort around the Paris Agreement in 2015, you know, getting nearly every country in the world to sign up to trying to keep to the 1.5 degree temperature increase or two degrees at the most. And I think for her, she, when she first got put into that position of leadership, she remembers, you know, going to a a conference and saying something when asked a question about how are you going to do this? She said something about, well, we're not going to do it in my lifetime. And I think, you know, that was a response she didn't even mean to say, but she put it out there into the world. And I think she did a lot of soul searching after that and realised, you know what, if I'm going to lead this effort, I need to be what she calls a stubborn optimist. And I need to be, you know, really believing and truly believing that this is possible to make this real change. And she shifted her mindset and was able to bring so many people along to do something that that no one really did think possible at the time. And so I really hold to that idea of you know, not digging our heads in the sand, not pretending everything's okay at all, but really having hope and believing that, you know, we really can still do this. And Project Drawdown, which is the world's most comprehensive view of solutions for the climate emergency, um, you know, really tacking onto that and, and taking the view that if we Uh, you know, people who kind of rise up for change and are able to help facilitate and take action to, you know, get our world leaders, businesses, individuals to do everything they can to implement the solutions we already do have, we really can, you know, slam the brakes on this crisis and turn things around. Yeah, no, I like that. And what made you yourself decide to to become such an activist? What what was the the moment made you drum? So I think I'd always been searching ever since I was a teenager for what something to really get behind. And it's always been so important to me to try and make something better in the world. And I think it started with a trip I was very fortunate to take over to the Philippines when I was a teenager. And um, it was actually a geography tour. And, you know, I, I remember seeing, you know, a lot of very difficult things over there. One of the things was visiting this orphanage and seeing these kids as young as four or five um, who'd been sniffing glue and, and being, you know, trapped into these terrible circumstances. And I remember just thinking, I just want to be able to do something to help. And, you know, I did a lot of volunteer work, a lot of social impact things, did a master's in international development. It was, it was reaching and exploring for a long time. But then I think the reason I think I've, I've really landed on the environment and and the whole climate movement is because it is the biggest issue of our lifetime. And I think there is such um, an immense need to create change there. And there's so many ways people can get involved. And I think, you know, I, I just find such meaning in trying to be one small part of helping to try and, and, and turn the tide on this immense, you know, crisis in our lives. Yeah. It's, it's incredible because there's so much, at stake at the moment and there's so much that's changing at the moment across a number of different spheres you know and and whilst like I'm not a scientist I'm not an ecologist but for me it's like it's equally and as an unimportant part of the story about 
people and what you talk what you spoke about with people in the Philippines and etc and your experiences when you were growing up and it's so important for us to recognize as well that we need to share the wealth of this planet in a way that it's sustainable for the planet and for us um, so there's so much going on at the moment that it feels sometimes it could get scary and overwhelming I don't know if you feel that at times <laughs> look I absolutely still do and I think it's this constantly trying to navigate these different feelings and emotions and try and, you know, keep bringing it back to where you can try and take action and where you can try and find community and do these things to sort of keep on this path. But I think it's only natural and a lot of the climate psychologists out there do definitely say that it is a completely normal reaction to feel some of these emotions of fear or despair or, or loss or overwhelm. And then it's about trying to navigate through that and um, and trying to, to find your path and your way. And I think, you know, taking action in, in a way that resonates for you personally is a really, really valuable way of not only trying to navigate those emotions, but also making an impact and trying to change things. And, and back to something you said about just the intertwining of the social and environmental issues here, absolutely. And I um, was very fortunate to be part of um, Al Gore's Climate Reality Leader program earlier this year. And, you know, in terms of basically what the Climate Reality Project is all about is trying to empower people to rise up and be voices for, you know, climate action and, and talking to the reality of the climate crisis and try and help more and more people, you know, make ripples of change. And their approach there is very much about how the climate justice and social justice movements are completely intertwined and, you know, disproportionately the, the climate emergency is affecting people who are already more disadvantaged. And so there's just so much need there to, to address this, you know, the whole, the whole thing together. And um, the Intersexual Environmentalist, they're a wonderful community on Instagram and they, you know, really go into a lot of these issues and really do, an, do a fabulous job of trying to, to pull that apart and help to kind of build awareness there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's kind of move our attention to COP26. So this is coming up. There's a lot at stake. What do you expect in terms of outcomes and what would you like to see? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, I think John Kerry, the US climate envoy, you know, he sums it up quite well when he says that the COP26 UN summit um, in Glasgow in November is the last best chance to take action on the environmental crisis. And so I think there's probably three main things that I really want to see happen there. Firstly, to see big, hairy, audacious, you know, targets um, that are going to be followed through on by countries around the world. And I think it's all about going deeper and wider on action as well as, you know, pulling forward the timeframes to really be slamming the brakes on emissions and, you know, putting emissions into, emissions into reverse in terms of, you know, carbon sinks and really pulling carbon out of the atmosphere as well. The second thing would be around helping countries that are already feeling climate impacts to, to adapt because, um, like we were saying earlier, you know, there's many countries already feeling devastating impacts um, who need, you know, support and planning to really try and address that for, for their people. And I think the third thing is the 
richer countries of the world committed some time ago to providing $100 billion in funding a year to poorer countries to deal with the climate crisis, and that funding hasn't eventuated as yet. So it's imperative that that happens to, to help those countries, you know, who are going to be feeling more of the impacts and less able to, to deal with it get that funding to them to make sure that those people are able to um, have the best chance. Slightly geopolitical question to you, and you don't have to answer if you don't want, but do you think that we could make change happen with our current nation state sort of uh, process and, and mentality? So look, it's a really good question. And, um, and I think, you know, there's such a need for systemic change to happen on so many levels and, and throughout how, you know, our societies are built. And I was listening to a fabulous podcast on this, actually, on Force of Nature the other day. And, um, and I think, you know, the nation state model can be quite troublesome in terms of that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I foresee as, as a real path forward is more localised methods of production and consumption in terms of energy, in terms of food. And so whether the nation state model is, is the best fit model, you know, for going forward, um, it's not my area of expertise, but I'm incredibly interested to see, you know, whether that is something that can be evolved and changed. I'd love to know what you think about that, Catherine. <laughs> I, I also think that it's it's something I would like to see evolve and change. I think definitely localization is a big part of the story. And a lot of a lot of what digitalization has brought is this feeling that we could be everywhere, but actually I don't think it's the right solution. Um, so it's it's learning how to use the tools that we have within the context of the constraints we have. And we haven't quite navigated that yet. And I think there's there's a book called um, Tools and Weapons, and it's it's not it's about digitalization in general, but it made me reflect on sort of the kind of parameters that we need to have in place, you know, so where doctors have Hippocratic oaths or whatever, you know, we need to have the same thing for people coding these systems. We need to have people taking certain sorts of decisions that are different than we did before, knowing what we know now, knowing the constraints that we never thought we had before. So yes, I think there's a need for a change, but I, I also am not qualified to speak on geopolit geopolitical issues. <laughs> Um, so what's next on the agenda for you and how can my listeners support your mission? Yeah, sure. So I think there's probably two big things. So firstly, my co-founder, Helen and I, so we're working on um, building up our, our business called Be The Future. And essentially this movement is just all about trying to inspire guardians of our next generation, whether that's parents, grandparents, teachers, family members, to I guess, nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. And there's just such possibility with how we can help shape that future generation to really care for the planet and do things in a, in a better, greener, fairer way for everyone. And so at the moment, we have our community we're building up on Instagram where we, you know, really trying to inspire people to take action, to have hope and, really, you know, share, share real tips for real change. Um, we are starting to record a podcast, which is exciting, called Hope Act Thrive. And that is, is really, again, about, you know, bringing in all sorts of different voices to help inspire people. And in the background, we're building up a 
collection of uh, storybooks and puzzles and games that were released through different themes because I think we're big believers in storytelling and immersing yourselves in things that inspire to really try and help kids and their guardians to really learn about this space and be inspired to make change. So that's sort of the first thing would be the future. And then the second thing is around the Climate Reality Project I'm involved in some stuff with COP26 um, and also, you know, doing quite a bit of writing um, around trying to spread the word about climate optimism and about actions people can take. And I guess trying to help be part of changing that conversation from the doom and the gloom that, that can really, you know, fair enough, encourage people to just want to switch off and try and, and really build in the inspiration of what the world could be and try and get more and more people involved in, you know, this incredibly important shift in society. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think this has been a really fantastic conversation. Uh, can you tell my listeners how they can follow you and, and get in touch with you? Yes, sure. So the best place is probably on Instagram and our account is called bethefuture.earth. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining me, Sally. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It's been wonderful. Season four of Where Ideas Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Byam, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.